What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have Keto Neo on the line today. Why are you Keto Neo, man? Well, one, because I absolutely love the movie The Matrix, and two, because I felt <laughs> like Keto has absolutely made me a new version of myself that I never expected to be. And, you know, Neo just means new and or revived. And that's what I feel Keto has done for my life. So when I was trying to come up with a, a name that actually signified, you know, what Keto actually meant to me, Keto Neo was like the first thing that popped up. And I feel like Keto, you know, before anything else, the, the challenge to actually do it successfully starts mentally. And I think the matrix just depicts how important it is to make that mental shift to unlock and, and open your eyes to everything that's been kind of clouding your judgment and viewpoint beyond that. I like it. I like it. And your your logo is the the matrix uh, glasses and everything too, right? Yeah, I try to be uh, pretty cohesive with everything. And so yeah, I was, you know, when I was speaking <laughs> to that sketch artist, I was like, look, I need to come up with a logo that doesn't have Neo's face because for those of you that haven't seen me, I look nothing like Keanu Reeves. So, uh, you know, but I wanted to come up with something that still had like the brand recognition of the movie. And so the, the sunglasses in that movie were just like, they were epic at that time and even still now. And so yeah, that's that's it. That was the logo. I was like, put that together, and um, I, I kind of roll with it. I love it. Very cool, man. I think it, I think it works for you as well. Very good choice. Well, give give the give the list a little, little background, man. Like like tell us. I mean, you and I've been on. I've been on your podcast, and then you had Danny and I on a podcast together. Um, talking about like like building muscle on keto, but but for anybody that hasn't heard your story, all right. So long story short, man. Uh, I've been in health, fitness, athletics since like the beginning of time, I feel like, and gone through a lot of different things and trying to really keep myself up to speed with being fit. And, you know, uh, football high school was like my biggest, biggest thing. I played three sports. It was football, basketball, and lacrosse. But football was really kind of the thing that I think brought my body dysmorphic disorder to the forefront of, you know, how do I play linebacker and gain weight? And, and that was really what kind of pushed me into the gym, pushed me into gaining weight and trying to figure all those things out which just, you know, pushed me into a love for health and fitness. Uh, became a certified personal trainer when I got to college for the first time, certified, had a bunch of clients, trained through them, uh, got bigger and more buff and loved life. And I uh, kind of went through the up and ups and downs of going into school, graduating. Uh, I went to school to become a pilot, which very few people know. Uh, I graduated right after September 11th and really couldn't find a job in the industry. It was an extremely tough time, right? So like anybody else, you have student loans and you have to pay them back. So when people started calling me and asking me for money, I was like, I guess I need to get get something else that'll pay. And so I wound up going through a gamut of business things. You know, I just I worked for Enterprise Rent a Car and a bunch of other like business development things and eventually landed in pharmaceutical sales. So I did pharmaceutical sales, medical devices, and those things kind of took my health and fitness aspect of like supplements and working out and training clients into the aspect of like drug to drug interactions and pharmacology and how those things worked out and love that. It was absolutely cool and got laid off. Eventually I was a farmer rep in Florida, which the market there is absolutely crazy. Um, just depending on like senior citizens and those people that come down from, you know, cold climates. So I found myself trying to figure out something to do, wound up going into law enforcement. Uh, during that period of time, I've trained police and military canines uh, I am a canine decoy. When people see me reference like keto athlete, the first thing I think about myself is, you know, being in my bite suit, taking bites from 80, 100 pound Malinois, you know, running and hit me at 40 miles an hour. 
Um, that to me, I think is uh, it's like full speed football, but with canines. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's been pretty cool. And I've been doing that for, I don't know, 19 years now. So fast forward, wound up being becoming a personal trainer again later on in life as I kind of changed careers and made some adjustments. And most recently, uh, a few years back, I got into the position after I had gotten divorced and remarried that I just got super fat. I mean, that's just the reality of it, man. It's like life happened. Uh, I kind of got away from everything that I knew, everything that I was doing and found myself just in this really unhealthy spot. Now, I will say this. My wife is nine years younger than I am and hot, like super hot. So I really needed to figure out what I could do because she kept saying, I'm worried you're going to die before me. I'm worried you're going to die before me. And so, you know, she was just like, you know, get back into eating healthy. So I started <laughs> drinking green smoothies, man. You know where I stand on vegetables, right? So you can imagine how I felt about that. Yeah, yeah. Not too good. It was it was horrible. So I would take like kale and spinach and char and all these things that make all these green smoothies, wheatgrass shots, the whole nine yards. And I would do that every single day. And after about three months of doing that, I lost maybe 15 pounds, which is driving me absolutely insane. So um, I kind of was looking for other things to do, um, looked at life and how stressful things had been, quit my job. We moved back to Charlotte where we originally met and I decided I'd start doing intermittent fasting. It was kind of like a, a challenge that a friend had set for me, um, started doing intermittent fasting and dropped like 70 pounds. So if anyone were to ask me, like, what was the number one thing that started my weight loss journey? It had nothing to do with keto and everything to do with uh, intermittent fasting. Started doing intermittent fasting and the intermittent fasting, I dropped 70 pounds, which was fantastic, right? Um, but I still felt like I was still kind of lacking in some things, specifically like energy and brain thought and clarity and some of those things. And so one day I was watching, always, I've always been like curious about, you know, bettering myself and becoming a better version of myself. And so I was listening to uh, my pastor's wife talk about how he didn't eat carbohydrates which I found to be absolutely insane. And really when I started researching, I was just like, this, this doesn't make any sense. Like you absolutely need to have carbs in order to function and perform. And you know, everything I knew as a personal trainer when it came to like ATP production and glucose in the muscles, I just was like, this is, this is impossible. But when I looked at you know, someone that I felt was real high energy, really productive, a very efficient individual, you know, I, I thought my pastor kind of personified those things. So I looked into it, discovered keto, and my wife said I was crazy. So again, like anybody else that gives me a challenge, I'm always like, let's figure out how to overcome that and decided I'd start keto. The, the following Monday, I listened to uh, my pastor's wife talk about this on Thursday, researched it like Friday and Saturday. My wife said I was crazy. Monday I started. And I will say this, when I start, started keto, I didn't know anything about anything, man. I didn't know anything about electrolytes. I didn't know anything about the keto flu. I just knew I wasn't supposed to eat carbs and you know, magic was supposed to happen. So I will, I will say this, the first three days of keto... I literally thought I was going to die. Like I was locked in a, in a black room with no desire to see anyone, have light or move. It was, it was probably the most debilitating thing I'd ever gone through. It's crazy. Keto flu happens and then what? So keto flu happens and I, I basically thought I was going to die. I mean, I, I didn't know why I was feeling the way I felt. I just knew that life wasn't good. Um, and I've, before that period of time, like with the intermittent fasting and stuff like that, I had started getting into like tracking my sleep and how I felt and all those things. So I was still wearing my, my gear watch to kind of track sleep. And uh, I remember I started on Monday. Wednesday was like, I went to bed super early. I was like, I, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to sleep. You know, when, whenever, whenever you get to that spot where you just feel like your life is over, you kind of like sleep the pain away. So <laughs> at least yeah. I do. So I went, went to sleep. And when I woke up, I had slept for over 10 hours with a sleep efficiency greater than 
which for those listening, maybe that sounds like a huge deal. Maybe it doesn't. But you know, for the last 20 years prior to that, I hadn't really slept longer than five hours. And whenever I got my sleep efficiency, it always came back somewhere between 60 and 70%. So you can imagine me looking at that. I, I really was just surprised. And then the other thing is like my nausea had gone away. Um, I felt super, super clear. I felt like I took like a limitless pill if I could compare it to something, right? Like my mind was just wide open. Um, I had a dream, which I haven't, I haven't dreamt in sleep in forever. Um, and it really just, it was just a, it, it was a Thursday morning and I'll never forget just looking at my wife thinking, wow, I like, I don't know what happened or how I turned this corner, but it was cool. It was amazing. Um, and then I had, uh, eggs, <laughs> eggs for the, it was like the first thing I could eat to like, feel like I wasn't going to die. So I ate eggs and, uh, kind of started from there. And just, just every day at that point in time, it was just exponentially better. Like I just felt better. I felt stronger. Uh, I felt like I could think more, handle more. My energy was through the roof. It was just, it was crazy, man. Uh, that's, I don't know. I always, I always find people's, you know, introduction to keto fascinating because we all kind of like get there through different, but similar paths. Um, but yeah, the keto flu definitely will knock you flat on your back if you don't have a clue what you're doing, but it's cool when you, when you, when you do have the keto flu, I think it's almost important to have the keto flu and just like maximize it so that when you do get into ketosis and that slate is wiped clean, it's like such a stark contrast that you know you're on to something good. Yeah, true story. And you know, what's funny is now having looked at, you know, the people that I've helped along the way with different things, I feel like everyone that has, you know, well, in life in general, right, you learn more through your failures than constant success, right? Like if, if you fail at something and you have the ability to look back at it, that hindsight and that failure is going to teach you way more than if you had gone through it with no hiccups and no issues. So, you know, I think that that's kind of the thing that got me to where I am now. You know, I, I kept looking at reading through and, you know, I'd listen to podcasts and I'd go through all these different things and all these different claims of people saying different things. And with the information and the background I had, it was more like, well, how does that make sense? What you're saying to me doesn't make sense. And no different than starting keto, where I was like, you absolutely have to have carbs in your life in order to survive, which didn't make sense. Anything that I hear that doesn't make sense, I'm like, we got to test it, prove it and figure it out because there's got to be some kind of truth to it or it's just blatantly wrong. And the in-between and the only way to get there is to apply it. And that's kind of how things have evolved for me. So, you know, for anyone listening, that's like, oh my goodness, I, I couldn't imagine doing it or, you know, or any other thing in between. Like, I just say, go for it, try it. And don't worry about failing because you'll learn so much more through it anyway. 100% agree, man. Could not say it better myself. I, I really want to dive into you know, keto, what all you've learned, I mean, you, you've got a big client base, like what all you've learned in working with them. But before I do that, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit and flesh out the earlier chapters of your life, because I'm like imagining your resume now. And it looks like there's a line item for, you know, pilot, there's a line item for, you know, pharmacologist, there's a line item for, you know, police dog wrestler. I mean, <laughs> how do how do you <laughs> intertwine all these? Things like, do you, do you fly now? Like, do you are you still a licensed pilot? Um, I don't. I have not in forever. Um, I could. I would just need to get my physical updated, but um, I haven't, man. I just haven't had time. And honestly, like all of this stuff really just culminated because when I set my mind on doing something, good, bad, or indifferent, I'm just full speed, 100% going after it. So um, <laughs> flushing it out is good, but there's there's so much to it. So I'll make it I'll make it brief as far as I can in like each chapter. As a pilot. The only reason why that was even on my radar, two things, twofold. One, Top Gun was absolutely an amazing movie. Okay, so I feel like anyone that watched Top Gun growing up 
wanted to be Maverick, or at least I did, right? So that yeah, was kind of like sure. the first thing. And then secondly, my parents just traveled a ton, man. When I was a kid, they used to do a bunch of like conferences and things. And, you know, as a little kid, I used to think, hey, if I could be a pilot, then I could fly them to wherever they needed to go. Um, you can insert an awe moment for everyone that's listening. Um, <laughs> but that was it. I was kind of like, I, I want to be a pilot just based on that. And so, you know, my mom was always one of those, I'm going to encourage and support and help whatever the dreams are that you have develop. And so she, she bought me my first flight. I turned 10 years old. It was my 10-year-old birthday. And she took me to this private airport, which was right, right by our house, and had me join this program. I think it still exists, man, but I don't know. It's called the Young Eagles of America. And mm-hmm. I went up. It was in a Piper Cadet, first flight ever, a little single-engine plane. And I had, I had never even been in a plane, right? So if you could imagine flying in like a big 747 and then, and then making that like matchbox size and going up, it's absolutely a crazy, crazy, crazy moment in time that you just see things so much differently than you've ever seen them before. And at 10 years old, man, you're so impressionable. And that just had me hooked. I just was like, this is definitely what I want to do. Um, and so, you know, I never looked back. I, I was very focused on whatever I need to do at that point in time at 10 years old, right? For whatever it is, I need to do it. At first, I wanted to be a fighter pilot and then found out my eyes were going bad. So that didn't work out really well. I did try to eat as many carrots and beans as possible to kind of change that direction. <laughs> but uh, it, it was just, it, it wasn't happening. So then, you know, moving, moving kind of through like adolescence, I played sports. My mom was always like, colleges look at diversity. So, you know, lacrosse, football, basketball were things that I absolutely had to do, you know, amongst other things like, you know, jazz band, marching band and key club and everything else that you wouldn't imagine. Um, little known fact that only people here will hear this. I was in the math club in high school, man. Don't tell anybody else. Um, don't share this with friends, <laughs> but I was in math club. Math. Uh, yeah, I know. I was, I was always a geek, man. But at the end of the day, um, my sister wanted to go to school in Florida. She went to Stetson. She graduated from Stetson university, which is in the land, Florida. And she was like, Hey, there's an aeronautical school, like 20 minutes from me. You should check it out. And this was right between my eighth and ninth grade year of middle school into high school. Again, another really impressionable time. So when we went to drop her off at school, they set up like a school tour. And this is the first I heard of Embry-Riddle. And again, I was like, goal, I'm, I'm going to the school. I don't care. Come hell or high water. This is what I'm doing. And so everything I need, de- needed to do through high school was like geared towards going to Embry-Riddle. And I did. Uh, I went. Now, I will tell you this. If I look back at it and could change things, I, I totally wouldn't go. Um, I had $150,000 in student loans when I graduated, which was insane. Um, and then couldn't do anything with flying. Right. So it was like, you could have gone, I could have gone to other schools with my, my records and my grades and my background for free. I had a lot of other offers to do those things and I probably should have, but Hey, this is where I am now. Right. So that was kind of like the pilot chapter in life. And then really everything else after that, um, you know, the, the canine thing is a plot clock twist. Uh, I never in a million years ever thought I'd have the relationship I do with dogs now. Um, And if I'm being completely honest and transparent, up until 14, I was absolutely terrified of dogs. Like, Mm -hmm. it, and it didn't matter what size, man. Like, it could have been a poodle. Like, I mean, and I don't mean a standard poodle. I mean, like a miniature poodle. Like, one of these designer dogs that you could, like, kick around. I was absolutely terrified. So, um, but, you know, what do guys do beyond impressing women? pretty much anything. And so I was in a situation in a relationship in college and I lived off campus and I was told that they, she wanted a dog. 
So I was kind of like, okay, cool. I don't know how that's going to work out, but uh, all right. We went, looked at a breeder and didn't come back with one puppy, came back with two because it was the last two in the litter. <laughs> just, you can't leave one dumb, alone, man. right? <laughs> yeah, you definitely can, but but I did not. So uh, they were two boxer puppies. Uh, their names were Neo and D-O-G. D-O-G as in like D-O-G for dog because that's how creative I was with names. And um, <laughs> I came, you know, like every college relationship that doesn't last, uh, we broke up and I got stuck with these two puppies, which I, again, I knew nothing about them. So uh, I th- came home one day from class. They, they used to be blocked into a galley kitchen, like those old school kitchens. There's like one way in, one way out. And I used to block them in with this big thing of like a two by four and plywood to keep them in the kitchen. Either way, I came home one day and they literally ate through the wall of my apartment to the point where I could look into my neighbor's apartment. Right. So I'm in college. I see this huge hole in the wall and I'm like, what am I going to like? Well, how do I fix this? You know, and I'm, I'm extremely irate, like Michael Vick irate. And so I take the puppies, <laughs> I throw them in my car and I drive to PetSmart. So I'm at PetSmart and I'm walking around trying to find like one of those like puppy trainers, like, you know, the, the, the dog whisperer for lack of a better word. And I get stopped by a deputy who is in the PetSmart trying to buy food for his dog. And so he asked me all these questions. I proceed to tell him this long drawn out story and he laughs at me. And this was just not acceptable for me. I kind of got a little bit more upset. And he said, hey, listen, if you come out super early in the morning on a Saturday, you know, I will work with you with these puppies and kind of show you what to do, how to do it, et cetera. So I didn't think that was going to happen. But long story short, on a Friday night when I got home from work, I was bouncing at a club at the time. The puppies were still up. I couldn't go to sleep. And so I ended up with this guy learning what to do. And that's the first time I ever really saw like real bite work done, like where canines actually running at a guy and and chewing on him. I was like, this is absolutely insane. And I'm all in. Like, I just, I have to try it. I have to experience it and haven't looked back, man. That's like I said, it's been like 19 years. So it'll be, it'll be 19 years in in June. That's crazy, man. So I had a, one of my workout buddies that I had in in Washington when I lived up there, he actually did the same thing. He worked with, uh, you know, attack dogs and he was on like the canine team and everything. And it's, I mean, I don't know, like I've, I've never suited up and done that, but like I try and put myself in his shoes or your shoes and I imagine it. I mean, and having like a a dog trained to kill you, just coming at you full speed ahead and latching on, I mean, that's got to be pretty exhilarating. Yeah, it's, uh, man, it's it's so funny is now when I do it, it doesn't even give me a rush anymore, um, which is weird, right? Like I feel like it, it, when I first started, I could remember thinking it was like the peak of a roller coaster. You know, like listening mm-hmm. to uh, the car get all the way to the top before it dropped. And that's how my heart would feel every time like the dog would come out. And and now there's just so many other things that I'm focused on and paying attention to that I'm I'm kind of like uh, so hyper-focused on creating and bringing the most out of the dog from a spirit, from an anger and aggression, from a focus, from a from a, an athletic point of the dog and being safe with the dog that I, I don't even think about it anymore. My heart rate only elevates now because of the actual physical exertion. Um, which is weird to say because I'm telling you, man, I'm not even joking. Like before 14, I mean like 13.5, I would have seen a poodle and cried. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Uh, so great, yeah, it's, it's, such it's a, such a shift. Yeah. yeah ser- seriously. Uh, for anyone that's got a fear, I just say hit it head on, man. Cause uh, eventually your heart rate won't change at that same fear and uh, outlook. So, you know, but what, what happens with fear is it's, it's usually something that we don't know and we don't understand. And now I have such a comprehensive understanding of dogs and how they function and perform that I can't, I can't be scared of them because of what I know. 
You know, it's like uh, going to work out without carbs. <laughs> it's not really fearful anymore. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so you're doing that. That's kind of like your, your full-time gig. Um, but then you're also doing the, the coaching with keto on the side. Yeah. So that's a great question, man. So uh, sidetrack and backtrack a little bit, you know, the whole efficiency aspect of my life and really trying to become more efficient. When I quit my job because I was unhappy, fat and looking for change, um, you know, my wife and I moved back to where we met and we said, Hey, let's figure out something else. So at the time, you know, I took a, I don't know, 75% pay cut to take this gig with this company. And I started working with them while we were building other businesses. So uh, I actually own a recruiting firm. My wife and I started a nonprofit coffee shop to help survivors at human trafficking. I have the canine business, which I also do full time. Um, and in addition to all of those things, um, we have the, the keto matrix now and kind of run nutrition clients. Uh, I plan workouts, I plan their food um, and, and coach through all those things as well. So my plate is ridiculously full, bro, <laughs> as far as like things to do. And I will say, I'm, I am so proud to say that in January will be exactly a year um, of not working for anyone else. That's freaking rock solid, man. There's so, I don't know, like, <clears throat> I feel like you can appreciate this because, you know, you, you've done this and you're almost coming up on a year now, but there's so much more work involved when you own your own business. Like people paint this picture of owning your business as like, you know, you sit on a beach and drink you know, my ties and just watch the sunset every day. That's probably like the farthest thing from owning your own business. I mean, you literally work like a maniac, you know, 18 hours a day, but you love it. Yes, totally, totally agree. I couldn't, I, man, that, that hits the nail on the head. It's definitely, I've never worked harder in my entire life, but the satisfaction of knowing that I'm putting that work in for me and my family is absolutely the best feeling on earth. Um, definitely not easy. You know, I had made a post a little while ago. I said, you know, my summer has been that of a great country song because it really has been like it's it has been it's been tough, man. But we have definitely gotten stronger with every challenge we've overcome. And yeah, I, I can't believe that it'll be a year. I have absolutely no idea how we got here. Well, I do. I mean, just just grace in general, man. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's been awesome. And and you're right. I can appreciate that, which is also why, like, you know, when I see people like you and Danny and Brian Williamson and Ben Pokulski and everyone else that, you know, is running and doing their own thing, man. It's just like, it's awe inspiring to know that you're not in it alone, right? There are other people that are grinding at it just as hard as you are and uh, are all the better for it. Yeah, that, that's huge. That's huge. Um, I, I want to backtrack again here real quick. You said that I was kind of reading your bio before I jumped on this call, but you said you got up to, what was it, nearly 300 pounds at one point? Yeah. So, you know, the, the modesty on that, because it is public, right? Like if anybody goes to the website, like they'll see that, which is why I posted that. I think, it, I think on the website, it says like 294, 297. The only reason why it says that is because when I was like 312 plus, I wasn't weighing myself at all, you know, like, so I was definitely over 300 pounds by a decent amount, um, but I wasn't really weighing. So the, the first time I ever got on the scale and said, all right, let's see what the progress was. It was like 294, 297, which is, uh, man, that's fat. But I, I was working at being fat full time. <laughs> and 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 just to give us some some uh, perspective here, when when you were at your heaviest, what were you doing in life then? That that's when you were at the pharmacology. No, no. So okay, good good point. And yeah, I'm glad that you asked me to backtrack, man, because I talk so much sometimes that um, you know I have to I have to keep track of it, and I never like to bore anyone. Sometimes I feel like nobody really cares about my story. Um, so I when I got divorced. Well, th thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. When I got divorced, I discovered smoking meat. Um, so like barbecue smoke, like it was the thing to do. And I am an absolutely fantastic cook and baker. 
So I started barbecuing everything. So I smoked the world up. I ate a ton. Um, didn't get too big. It was like, I don't know, it was probably like 230, 240, nothing crazy. I uh, had been there before, was still working out, but I got married. And when I got married, I said, hey, I'm going to step away from, at that point in time, I was just training dogs, right? Um, and I didn't want to go into my second marriage with the stress of starting a new business. And listen, you're engaged, man. So you know exactly how this is. Like Crystal's a very special woman to be able to handle starting and running a business during wedding yeah, planning. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> exactly, it's tough. So, you know, for me, I was like, ah, I know how my wife is. I was like, let's do something else. And so I kind of jumped back into corporate America. So the last thing I was doing was medical devices. I was a medical device manager. Uh, and that was like life. So for this, I was like, we'll go back into corporate America. I'll do something. And I looked at um, a logistics company. They they recruited me. It worked out really well, but it was super, super stressful to the point where when we got married, uh, our wedding was on a Saturday and we moved from Charlotte, North Carolina to Albany, New York on a Monday. Like the company moved me two days after our wedding. So, and, and this was in December. So I moved my lovely wife into the frozen cold of upstate New York two days after we got married. <laughs> Talk about a trooper. Yeah, quite the honeymoon. So that's, yeah, no kidding, which yeah, we still haven't had a honeymoon, but, uh, and then I'm good at whatever I do, man. I try to be focused on and, and overcoming challenges and stuff. And so I got promoted from Albany to another position where uh, covered Ohio. And so then we moved to Ohio and you know, I tell people whenever you're in a situation where one, you're discovering a new place, what's the first thing you do? For me, it's find the, the best things to do in the area, which always happen to be food related. So when we were moving, it was like, what can we get in this area? You know, I had an app, I think it was called TV Foodie, which basically pulled up every food app and food restaurant that had been featured on the Food Network. So Diners, Drive-Ins and Dives, um, Man vs. Food, like all of those shows. And we would hit every single one of those restaurants. Right. So when we kept moving, we'd hit more and more of the restaurants. So in Ohio, what made it worse is Ohio is so centrally located. We would drive to Michigan and Chicago and, and all over the place. And then we'd hit all those places too. Missouri. I mean, we were everywhere. So I literally just spent my time eating and eating and eating on top of the fact that I was working a super high stressful job, which just had me gain more and more weight um, to the point where I don't know if I've shared this on anybody else's podcast. Uh, or I should say on, on anybody else's conversations or my own podcast, but the biggest fight I ever had with my wife to this day was over why she kept shrinking my pants. So at, at this point in time, I was wearing a 38 size pant waist and it literally, I'd put on business slacks and they were like skinny jeans. And I remember coming home just saying, Hey, I can't keep buying new dress pants. Like you've got to stop shrinking them. And she's like, I'm not shrinking them. I'm not shrinking them. Either way, we got into a fight over it. And the next day I came <laughs> home and she had my, she had my laundry literally hung up on like all the furniture because I said she was drying them too hot in the dryer. And that was what was causing them to shrink. And it was really that I just kept getting fatter and fatter, man. So, uh, I mean, it was, when I say fat was a full-time job, man, I was waking up and I'd have, you know, some kind of huge venti, uh, frappuccino something from Starbucks followed up with like some kind of great pastry and brownie um, followed by lunch a few hours later that would also get followed with a shake and some I mean dude I was I was eating massive amounts of sugar calories it was just it, it was insane and believe it or not I was still lifting weight so I mean I was still built like an ox like I was super strong but I was fat man I mean there's there's no other way around it what were you, you know, your, what were your lift people, like man at your heaviest oh uh, man I mean I'd I'd 
I didn't want to. So I've had I've had five knee surgeries. Um, I've broken my arm a couple times, my thumb. I, like I'm I'm beat up and battered. So I haven't actually done like stupid heavy lifts in a long time. But at that point in time, I'd work out two twenty five, you know, fifteen reps. Like it was it, it was easy. Um, I would squat. I'd never try to go over three fifteen. Whenever I was trying to like burn myself out, I would I would drop set into something else. But I'd squat three fifteen. My deadlifts have always been between like three fifteen and four oh five. Um, I try to stay in that range, which you know, th- these numbers sound large for some people listening, but if you, if you look at like Danny doing 700 pound deadlifts, like these are not, this is not like a lot of weight. So, but I would, I could rep those things out, man. And so that was, it was great power. It was strength. It was, it was nice, but it was fat. Yeah. Yeah. So, so from there, I mean, you said that basically just had to lose some weight. You, you weren't happy with where you were looking. Your wife was concerned about your health, you know, long-term and you know you were kind of motivated to try this whole zero carb thing how long after transitioning to that did you start to you know recognize that your your health was improving you know you had that night where you slept 10 hours you woke up feeling like a new man but when did you really start seeing improvements in like the scale and your health and just your performance yeah good good question so you know i'd like to think and this is just again complete honesty and transparency i'd like to think i woke up one day and i looked in the mirror and i said dude, you're fat, change this. But that wasn't, it just was not the case. That wasn't true. Um, if I'm being completely honest, the only reason I started looking at my health to make changes and adjustments was because <clears throat> my wife at the time, we lived out on three acres in Ohio. And I, I know you're, you know what the country's like, man. We lived out three acres in Ohio and um, ha- having been a deputy before, I'm really always hypersensitive to my wife's safety, um, the safety of those around me. And we had we had a couple instances I, I wasn't really comfortable with, and I wanted my wife to get a little bit more comfortable with handling a gun. And so we basically traded. I said, listen, come with me to the range, do some more training, be prepared if anything were to happen, and I will make better food choices. Like that was, that was the trade-off, right? So that was the catalyst. When that started, nice, nice. Um, yeah, <laughs> ask how many times she's been to the range. <laughs> not too many, I guess, huh? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> but um, either, either way, I digress, man. So at that point in time, you know, that was the thing that was like, okay, let's do this. So when I did that, you know, I just kind of default back to, all right, well, I'll work out twice a day. You know, I'll do some more cardio and I'll make those green smoothies. And so I made green smoothies. It was like, we went out and bought a Vitamix. We spent $600 on a Vitamix and I was going to make smoothies every morning, which I did. Um, they weren't really in, in enjoyable. Uh, I followed them up with wheatgrass shots from my local uh, smoothie place that was up there. And three months into it, man, maybe I dropped 20 pounds. No joke. Like I'm talking hardcore craziness, maybe. And that's when I started looking at like, okay, well, this is the stress of the job, you know, and no matter what, I have to change that. So we had come down for a friend's wedding where I, l- I look at pictures of that wedding now, man. And I was, I was fat then too, man. It was crazy. So I was like, we got to change things. That's when I kind of, I quit my job and I was like, let's move. We moved back. And even then I hadn't lost too much weight. I was still working out really hard. Um, there's pictures that I have up that, you know, like my wife, my wife and I were like on a treadmill and I look like fat Albert, man. Like my face was huge. Um, and even hey, then, hey, like hey. again, yeah, exactly. So uh, <laughs> I would say, and that that's probably like a good six months into it, right? And that's when I started looking at intermittent fasting. Now, when I looked at intermittent fasting, you know, that was the catalyst where weight really started to drop off. Um, I started intermittent fasting. I was eating like garbage still, man. Like I'm talking cupcakes, lasagna, cookies. You know, I really felt like I kept following all these people on Instagram that were 
you know, posting their crazy challenges and like eating Hostess cupcakes and Twinkies. And then the next shot was like their six pack. And so I just started embracing that. I was like, I'm going to eat all the crap in the world as long as it's in my eating window. And if it fits in my macros, like life is good. Well, it was, I dropped 70 pounds. Um, so, and that was probably over like a f- six month period of time, you know, not, not really long. My workouts still stayed the same, but I, you know, started doing this intermittent fasting and I felt okay, but I still felt like, again, at the end of the day, five o'clock came and I just hit this wall. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't be more than I was. And we were working on trying to get business to, businesses together. I was traveling a ton for work for this company, for this job that I took. And so I just was like, I, I got to do something else. And that's kind of where the whole keto thing came in. And I started researching not having carbs and all that stuff, really just to improve my efficiency because weight loss at that time had been pretty progressive. And I remember the first week, you know, so you had that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of the keto flu where I felt like garbage. Um, by the end of that week, man, I had dropped 13 pounds effortlessly. Hadn't really worked out because Thursday was the first day I woke up, right? So that was the fourth day I woke up and I felt like I could finally eat food. Maybe I had six eggs that day, maybe. And then Friday came along. And at that time I was like, I guess I'll check the scale. And it was a good 13, 14 pounds. Now for me, that 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 was incredible because I felt like I had already done long fast, right? Like I had done 24 and 48 hour fast at that time. And none of it had me drastically drop weight like that. And none of it had me feel as amazing as I did. The sleep just continued to improve. My energy level continued to improve to the point where I could have a really long day and I would lay down. And typically, you know, the easiest way to know if you're like sleep deprived is if you fall asleep before your head hits the pillow, you're not getting enough rest. Like that's just Mm -hmm. classic case. Right. And so I would lay down and I'd be awake, like just, just hanging out, which I thought was crazy. And then eventually I'd fall asleep and I'd sleep great. So, you know, all of that, that was a good, I would say probably when I realized I had dropped over a hundred pounds was probably a good three months into keto, which was before I ever had a cheat. So when I first started keto, I never, I never had anything off of the whole 20 grams total or less a good three months into it. Um, and at that point in time was when I really felt like I was like, man, it's, it's been a hundred pounds that I've dropped combined with the IF and then the keto and just was like, well, let's just see how much further I can go. Um, and I won't, I won't stop, man. It's just, it's been incredible. Yeah. I mean, hundred pounds is no joke, brother. I mean, that's, and, and how long from, from point A to point B, how long was that window from the intermittent fasting and the keto combined? Yeah. So intermittent fasting, keto combined to that hundred pound mark was probably a good 10, 11 months. So I, I would say like, if I had to look at the whole timeline and really plot it out, it was about 11 months for a hundred pound drop. Did you have any like loose skin or anything afterwards? No. And so that's the thing. And, and that's what I tell people now is like, the thing I find so amazing about intermittent fasting is it's manipulation on growth hormone is that when I, when I was doing the intermittent fasting and because I was doing the intermittent fasting, I didn't, you know, the elasticity in my skin, just, it just all came together. Um, you can still see, like, I have a ton of stretch marks, but no, no elasticity issues, no, no hanging skin, nothing like that. It was just, everything came together which was fantastic. And I still, you know, as, as great as keto is, as amazing and life-changing as it is, I still think that that still all comes from growth hormone and the reduced uh, insulin. Yeah. You know, th- there's that guy that I don't know his name or the specifics on it, but he fasted what was like 378 days or something crazy um, and lost a, a ton of weight. But the interesting thing was that he, he lost, you know, like, I don't know, 200 pounds, 300 pounds, I don't know what it was, something crazy, but he, he didn't really have any loose skin afterwards simply because he was fasting so long and basically his, his skin shrunk with everything else in tandem. 
Yeah, I can't. I think it was in. I remember the guy you're talking about. I don't know the details. I think it was like UK or London or something like that. It was somewhere over the mm-hmm. pond, I think. And um, yeah, yeah. And that's that's the thing is I'm like, because people always say that. I have clients that are like, oh, you know, I don't know. I, I know I need to lose this much weight. And I'm like, listen, as long as you're doing it healthy, right? Healthy as in your body is in a, the right state to do that. Um, everything will come together the way it's supposed to. You know, when you when you find yourselves, you know, when I see people that have come through and they've had like gastric bypass and they're wondering why, you know, their skin sagging and all these other things have happened. It's like, that was not your body healing itself. That was you manipulating weight off, you know, and that's just not, it's not the direction I would encourage anyone to go. I mean, it, it doesn't matter whether you want to lose a hundred pounds or a thousand pounds. It's obviously going to take a little bit longer, but I think that, you know, the slow and steady is definitely the best way to do it. Yeah. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. So, so now, you know, with you being keto for the three years that you have and, you know, the clients that you've worked with, what are actually backtrack even from that with you having the the experience in pharmacology did there any was there anything that you learned in doing that that you've applied to kind of like your nutrition your supplementation now oh man yeah huge huge so um the pharmacology aspect of things man it it really threw me for a loop at first right because when i looked at keto like i said i was looking at it to kind of disprove things and looking at how your drug responds to again manipulation right like drugs are all about manipulation um, you know, we talked about this on one of the podcasts I had you and Danny on, you know, about my own drug use, right? And the ability to use like performance enhancers to do different things. And, you know, I think it's fascinating how a drug can manipulate your body to do something, but I think it's even more fascinating to understand how food can do that same thing. So when I first started keto and looking at that, knowing what I knew, I was kind of like, I don't want to take anything. I didn't want any supplements. I just wanted to eat food and have food be the thing that healed me and whatever I needed in that in that window was that. Um, I also then looked at all of the information that was out there, like what people were sharing, um, the things that they were taking and kind of looked at where there were holes and gaps. You know, I cycled in on and out of like taking the magnesium and potassium citrates and things to kind of keep my electrolytes up, working on the vitamin B supplements and stuff like that. And it got to the point where I was like, I'm taking all these different things to allow myself to be in the most efficient way possible via keto. And I'm not really allowing my body to just eat the foods that are high in those things. And so, you know, the whole evolution of the keto matrix for me has been, tell me what it is. Give me your hypothesis. Tell me what it is that you're doing. Let me take the information that I have from a pharmacology standpoint and then apply it and see if it, see if, see if it holds water or not. And what I've found, like even with like the total carbs, net carbs, you know, when my wife finally started, um, she started keto, I want to say four to six months after I did. And one of the biggest things she wanted was bagels. Don't ask me why, man, because we weren't, we hadn't even really been eating bagels before, <laughs> but she's like, I really want bagels. So I was like, okay, I'll put you on this plan. I'll write your numbers. We'll set it up and we'll just follow net carbs because that should allow you, you know, the, the ability to have these low carb bagels and all these other things. And, you know, it wasn't until we actually, you know, we're taking the data points and putting all that stuff in my pharmacology background really focuses and forces me on to hold on the data like I am a data geek, man. This goes back to math club days. I want to put the numbers in, see what the numbers come out because everything else is just emotionally tied and there's not really true accuracy in that. So I'd kind of look at those things, plot the points and then see how it impacted and affected things. And that was just like mind opening to some of the false claims that are out there that people follow and and don't recognize. Um, Same thing with like hormone regulations. Uh, I was fortunate in the pharmacology aspect of things. I carried two drugs that are super important. One was Coreg, which was primarily used for those that suffer from heart failure. And the other one was a drug called Avandia, which was for type 2 diabetics. 
So I was already at that point in time calling on specialists that were cardiologists and endocrinologists. So again, using and understanding, you know, insulin and the body's response to insulin and heart and atherosclerosis and sitting in cath labs all day to look at people, you know, trying to find life-saving medicine. It really gave me a different appreciation to understand how we kind of bombard ourselves with um, the overrun of supplementation and drugs for that matter. Like for instance, you asked how I kind of changed my supplementation and stuff. I really don't take anything. The only pills that I take every day are from um, Paleo Valley, their organ complex um, that's literally ground up like brain and kidney and um, other organs of a cow um, that's encapsulated. That's it. I don't take any kind of other supplements. And the reason for that is we only have a certain amount of enzymatic pathways in our body, right? A lot of people mm-hmm. will say, I'm going to take 30, 30 supplements. Well, you could take 30 supplements, but if you don't have enough freed up pathways to use and break those supplements down, you're not going to get them. And they're all delivered to be as readily available absorbed as possible, right? So unless they're like enterically coded, um, most of the things that we put in our body, we lose. So, you know, I have, I have clients all the time that will come to me and one of the things on my questionnaire is, you know, what supplements and medications are you currently taking? And they give me this huge gamut and I'm like, you realize that when you take these things, you know, you're going to get maybe 5%, if, if even that, of what you just put in. So like, what's the point? Like you're, you're, not, you're not getting the benefits of that where you could be looking at an area where you have a deficiency using food that your body can then digest and break down in a timely manner and then get, get, get everything you need out of it. Um, and as of, uh, I want to say like Friday, I just started thinking with the increased amount of calories I've been taking in that I might, I might, this is possible, but I haven't decided yet, start taking um, some different enzymes just to help kind of break things down. But, you know, honestly, with being like so carnivore, um, meat just digests so well that I don't even know if it's necessary. I, I don't I don't feel like I'm not gaining everything out of the food that I take, but I'm interested to know if I take some additional enzymes with the amount that I'm eating right now, if if it helps at all. It is it is crazy, man, the the disparity between what what people think they need to supplement and consume versus what they actually need. I mean, when I was when I was younger, I'd, I'd you know walk into like a GNC or I'd flip to like a bodybuilding magazine, and they'd have all these buzzwords. And you read the labels, you read the back of every single label, and they have all this you know all this catchy pictures and diagrams. It makes it look like it's gonna you know get you jacked in a week. And I don't know, like people read into that so so much, and it just totally clouds their judgment because I mean none of that is necessary, and it's just basically a huge money pit. I mean now that I'm keto. Like I literally don't take anything except vitamin D and creatine when I remember to take it. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, true story. And you know what, man, I, I, I can't even lie. I was a sucker for the back of the magazines. Like it would have like all the supplements listed that, you know, at wholesale prices. And I had memberships to all those places that sold them cheap. And man, I, I bought everything. Uh, I remember I used to take this shake, it was called a definition shake. And I would take it right before going to bed. And it was so disgusting that I literally felt like I was going to vomit every night. And I remember my mom coming in the kitchen one night looking at me like, you was just so committed. And I was like, yeah. And now I look at that, that picture in my mind and I'm like, I was so crazy and stupid. You know, it was just like, <laughs> it was an ignorance, right? Like I, I, I didn't know, I had no idea. But I remember just thinking, oh, if I drink this, I'm going to look like this. And it's like, it's just not, it's, that's not the way we were intended to thrive, like in any way, shape or form. Have you ever had a whey hydrosylicates, I think is how you pronounce it? Um, way like the hy- hydrolyzed? No, not not the hydrolyzed. It's like uh, it's broken down another level. It's like hy- hydrosylates or something like that. But it, it tastes like 
burnt rubber, man. But it, it's supposed to be like almost instantaneously absorbed by the body. So that's obviously what they play on in the marketing. And and man, it's like yeah. disgusting. I want to say yes because I've, I've I feel like I've had every single protein under the sun. Um, even like in, in IF, I would take uh, I, st- I kind of moved away from any of the isolates and things that have been pre digested um, because I wanted the non denatured. I didn't want the process that was there. Um, so I would take non denatured proteins. But even still, man, like um, I feel like I've taken every protein under the sun, and I mean. I just, I can't, I can't see myself going back there or, or thinking about, you know, those things that we put in and the insulin response from it. Right. I feel like people don't give enough weight to the fact that whatever we put in our body, our body is going to respond to. And it's not just it's protein, right? Cause a lot of people will think, well, I need protein like right now. So I'm eating 198 grams of protein a day, which I guess doesn't seem like a lot for me. It seems like a ridiculous amount, right? It's one and a half times my lean pound of body mass. And mm-hmm. that for me is an undertaking and it's an undertaking only because I'm only eating food. Like if I started throwing in a whey protein shake, I could make a whey protein shake with 50 grams of protein, no big deal. Drink two of those a day and hundred grams would be taken care of. Like that's nothing. But looking at the fact that if I put protein in, in a form of a shake, like a whey protein, the amount of insulin impact that I have on my body and the storage that would then come on over, you know, from that it would take the the 3000 plus calories I'd have and I'd be getting fat overnight again, instead of, you know, my recent DEXA scan, my body fat hadn't changed and my, my lean pound body mass went up four pounds, you know? So those are the kind of things I think, you know, people don't necessarily put into play. I know I didn't, I, I never did. Um, and it's just, it's amazing to me what our bodies are capable of when we just allow them to do what they were meant to do. Um, and, oh, yeah. and it's, it's, it's cool. It's, Hundred yeah. percent. So and the protein shake post workout—that's like such like um of, of all the the myths with supplements, that's probably the the strongest ingrained in in people's minds. But everybody just assumes they have to have a protein shake after they train, no matter what diet they're on. I mean, I get a whole bunch of keto clients. You know, they want to work with me, and then they'll ask that they one of the most common questions: Do I need to have a protein shake after workout? And like when you think about it, the the protein shakes that are all you know, hydrolyzed, you know, absorbed incredibly fast. They're all like super, super sweet, you know, cinnamon bun flavor, pixies. I mean, it's like, it's like you might as well be taking a pixie stick after you work out because you have like an response, like just crazy. Yeah, no, no kidding. You know, it's, um, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that one, man. I think that um, one of the things I try to stress the most with my consults with people is I'm like, listen, I may not be the perfect person to coach you, but my philosophy on all of it is this. You want to put your body in a position to do absolutely everything it needs to do internally, right? Like if we look at ourselves a thousand years ago, right? None of this stuff was available, right? None of it. There wasn't a Wendy's. There wasn't any kind of fast food. There was no, um, there were no exogenous ketones. There were no fat bombs as much as I love uh, the F-bomb nut butters and stuff, right? Like none of these things were available. So put yourself in a position as close as you possibly can to allow your body to do what it was meant to do. So for me to this day, one of the things that I say, no matter what is after your workout, you have to wait at least an hour before you eat. I don't, I don't care what you like. I don't care what you, you subscribe to or think of otherwise 60 minutes. Right. And people are like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, at 60 minutes, you've given your body enough time to feel like it needs to recover. And when you don't eat something, 
your body will recover and it will do the things necessary in order to do so. So I'm very, very strict about that. Um, I'm not necessarily strict about whether or not the person's going to do intermittent fasting or if they're going to eat before their workouts or whatever. But I'm always like, after your workout, you know, that time where you feel like your glycogen's low, the time that you feel spent, you know, allow your body to self-medicate. Let it figure out what it needs. Let it free up the fatty acid that needs to be there. Let it figure out how to in- improve your your uh, glycogen storage. Let, let it do those things. And after you've allowed that, you know, then then feed yourself and, and your body will appropriately utilize what you put in. Yeah, totally agree, man. And, and also on that, you know, when you're training, you get your whole sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. And, and when you're training, the, the system you're activating is not the same as what you need to be in when you're eating because you want to be like in a relaxed state when you're consuming foods so that your hydrochloric acid, you know, can be activated and you can absorb that food properly. So if you're, you know, down in a huge meal immediately post-workout, that's like not optimal by any means. No, counterproductive. Boom. I could, I mean, that's just like, we should put that on a t-shirt, man. That was perfect. Yeah. It's, but you know, explaining that to people and having them realize like based on bro science, right. Which I feel like is the most marketed thing out there. Um, everyone's just like, oh, it doesn't make any sense. If I don't eat right after I work out, I'm going to die. Just try it. If yeah. you if you die, you're absolutely right. And I'll, I will apologize at your funeral, but it's not going to happen. Like <laughs> your, your body is meant to recover. <laughs> yeah. Totally agree, man. So, totally agree. Yeah. So, so dive you know, into like, some of the other stuff. No, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Dive into what, what other stuff? Uh, I was going to say dive into some of the other stuff that you've learned in, in working with the, with your clients and just self-experimentation. Because right now you're doing like a, a hypercaloric mass building uh, protocol right now, correct? I am. I am. So, yeah. So a few things, right? I never, ever intended to have clients. Like, you know, when I was done being a personal trainer, I was kind of like, I'm I'm done being a personal trainer. Um, I was kind of frustrated with how things had changed in the industry and where things were going. And, you know, I, I never saw myself going back to this. And it wasn't until last year, actually, uh, October, you know, I was at a, uh, a canine seminar, right? So I, I do all these seminars where I'm um, meeting with a bunch of different agencies and we're training dogs and working on tactical approaches to situations. And, you know, I get disgusted having been, you know, previous law enforcement to see, especially canine handlers, be grossly out of shape. Right? Like, I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, you guys have to protect other people, but if you can't protect yourself, like how, how is that going to work out? So I just started sharing, you know, like keto and, you know, the changes and my weight loss and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, that kind of opened me up to having these conversations. And a friend of mine was like, listen, you got to start charging people for this insight because it's helping. And, you know, like you, you've got to recognize the value in your time. So that's how that whole thing even came around. But, you know, I will say I am the the greatest appreciation for my clients just based on what I get to learn through their experiences. You know, I've had clients of all different backgrounds at this point now. Um, the youngest one I've ever worked with is 13, oldest one's 87, right? And so, you know, I, it, to take any kind of one blanket approach and say, do this, it's just absolutely crazy. Like you, you, you can't, you have to look at every individual and then put things in. So, from manipulating carb numbers to timeframes, eating windows. I have just learned so much about what our bodies are capable of, not only with my own self-testing, but like testing in other individuals, um, you know, like blood pressure and um, cortisol responses and just how met- metabolically damaged we are as individuals for the most part based on how we eat and how we force feed ourselves. Um, you know, the emotional connection with and response to food um, and how it gets there that has absolutely nothing to do with food. You know, I, it, this podcast would run four hours plus if I talked about every single thing I've learned from the clients that I've coached, 
um, and my own self-experimentation. Uh, as far as right now, like this, this caloric surplus, you know, hey, I've heard time and time again that there's absolutely no way to build muscle on keto. Like that's just, that's been the thing. Um, there have been some pretty prominent individuals within and outside of the keto industry that have basically signed off on that belief, man. And, um, you know, I got to the point where I was just like, I look, I mean, I look at you, I look at Danny, I look at a lot of people that are ketogenic and, you know, it's, it's clear and obvious that you guys are continuing to grow. Um, and in order to really continue to challenge myself, you know, I've been lean for an extended period of time now and I, I love it, but I was like, let's take it up a notch, man. Let me, let me go back into the, the grinding stage, the painful stage of, you know, really putting on muscle so that it can be shown. And I feel like a lot of people take advantage of or take for granted um, the amount of effort that's necessary to do those things. And so I'm always like, before I tell someone exactly how to do it, why don't I just do it myself? Why don't I go through it and kind of show and highlight things? So uh, I came up with a plan. And the, the biggest thing first and foremost was I'm not going to have any huge amounts of carbs. So I will not have more than 10 grams of carbs ever. Like I don't care where they come from or what the source is, won't be more than 10 grams of total carbs. Right. And then I said, if I really had to look, no day per day. Oh yeah. Good question. Um, so for the whole day, no matter what, I won't have more than 10 grams of total carbs. All right. So then I had to ask myself, right, well, what's really necessary beyond the physical outlet to grow stronger muscle? to grow bigger and stronger from a fiber standpoint, what's needed, muscle fiber standpoint. And I said, okay, well, obviously like protein is there. Like you have to have protein in order to rebuild and come back stronger. Right. And then I said, well, what about energy? Right. Like if I'm still going to be a fat fueled individual, like I have to look at the energy source that's necessary to do so. So, you know, you've heard, and, and it's been out there, bro science, you need to have one gram, one gram of uh, protein per pound of body mass. Right. Um, some people say total body mass. Some people say lean body mass. Some people say target your protein based on the weight you want to be. I don't know where all that stuff comes from, but um, I'm not afraid of protein. I don't think people that are are ketogenic should be afraid of protein. Um, you know, the whole gluconeogenesis thing is a is is a myth in the terms of just eating protein and it turning to sugar. Like that's not how that works. So I went through going through that process and just saying, okay, cool. Let's figure out from there what we're going to do. And I said, let's target it at 1.5. I felt like 198 grams was going to be something that was feasible and sustainable and also would give me room, you know, six months from now when I wanted to start cutting down and retaining the muscle I put on. So I targeted my, my lean body mass 1.5 grams per that, which gives me the 198. And then I said, all right, well, from an energy standpoint, I don't just look at fat for me as a, a number, like just a quantity to intake, but I look at it as a ratio and a percentage based on how I want to feel. Uh, I actually just changed this to yesterday, to be honest with you. Um, so you have your regular macros like 75, 20, and 5. I don't even care about the carb thing because no matter what, that's not going to change. So I think my carbs are like 1%, it says, for the for the macro uh, essence of things. But fat for me, I'm like, how much fat am I going to take in and where do I feel? When I'm below 70%, I feel tired and sluggish. Like that's just mm -hmm. how I feel, man. Um, so I didn't want to be that low. Um, unless I want to get to the, you know, when I start leaning out and cutting up like, okay, but I want to also make sure I'm providing enough energy to my cells for them to grow, repair and recover. And so, you know, I was like, let's, let's start at at least the 75. So I started at 75, 75 has been really good. 
Um, I like it, but you know, again, with some of the things I have going on, I decided I was going to kind of up it up to uh, 78. So I'm at 78% now, which I think puts my macros at like 3,700 calories. Um, I haven't gained, uh, I've been in the same like one to three pound mark since the beginning of October when I started this hasn't changed. Um, and all I, I just continue to get stronger. Um, you know, we, we could talk if you want to, we can kind of go into some of the microdosing of the esters and stuff like that. But um, aside from that, just straight keto, no supplementation or anything like that. You know, the same one to three pounds has been there. My reps continue to go up. My ability to recover between my workouts has gone up. I'm working out twice a day with each muscle group going uh, twice a week. So, yeah, I do want to kind of dive in a little deeper because this is fascinating to me. Are you, um, so 3,700 calories, what is your baseline? Like prior to this, what was your estimated uh, maintenance intake? 2,500? Uh, like twenty. Yeah, like I was gonna say, I think it was like twenty four fifty six, something crazy like that. I'm not, I'm not really one of those. Uh, the c word for me, calories don't mean a whole lot. Um, but yeah, I think, I think like reported average was like twenty four, twenty four fifty, something of that nature. Do you feel? I can tell. Uh, like, like stuffed eating that much food at thirty seven hundred, or do you, does it go down pretty easy? Oh man, no man, I'm, I'm never hungry. I'm stuffed. I'll be honest with you. I'm like, um, it. You know what's tough is that I still try to. I haven't really been focused on intermittent fasting at all, but because I've been intermittent fasting for so long, um, like when I wake up, I just, I don't think about food. You know, like I go to the gym, I work out and then sometime when I'm done working out, remember I'm, I'm at least an hour before I put anything in my mouth. A lot of times that one hour, depending on how crazy my day is gone, it'll be three hours and I'm like, oh, I haven't eaten yet. Right. So <laughs> I'm like, I still got to hit my macros. So, I mean, I literally found myself the other day it was it was eleven o'clock at night, man, and I was I had a nineteen ounce ribeye I had to eat. <laughs> I was like, I'm not hungry right now, but I, I gotta finish it. it. I hate it. I hate it. Like it's, I it's, hate having so much food that I have to get in that I'm like just not hungry. I mean, when you eat that much food, it's kind of funny because like I compare that to my mindset towards food when I'm in a contest prep, and like when I'm in a contest prep, I like. I, I want to have all these super extravagant meals. I want to have like I want to be able to taste all these different you know, sensations on my tongue. And now it's like any food, no matter how much, no matter what quality, no matter what con quantity at all, just disgust me. Like I do not want to put another morsel of anything in my mouth. <laughs> man, absolutely true story. I just, I am beyond stuffed, man. It's, it's tough. It's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where when clients are like, do I have to eat? I'm like, yes, yes, you need to eat. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and I, I would think as stuffed as I feel all the time, bro, I would feel like I should be 30 pounds heavier. I really, I, I honestly feel that way. Um, but I'm not, which is, it's incredible. Again, that's one of those things I think that just highlights how capable our bodies are when, when fed properly. Yeah, I totally agree. That's one thing that I've really taken a keen interest in with me, you know, doing my hypercaloric experiment right now. Like there's, you know, there's like a, a lower threshold when you drop your calories like you you can only drop so much before you hit that floor and your body's just not going to respond and you're not going to lose any more weight like it's pretty much just saying nope this is it like this is what you're going to be you have to reverse that before anything's going to happen you have to reset your metabolism and hormones i think there's yep. almost the opposite opposite of that in like a you know a threshold ceiling in which you know any overconsumption of food past a certain point isn't really going to result in additional fat gain. And I don't think that's the same with everybody. And, you know, this is just me doing this experiment on myself. Like, I feel like I'm, you know, very metabolically sound. But with me taking in the 6,000 calories I am, like, I've pretty much, you know, maintained the same weight for, you know, a month or so now. 
and I'm well, well, well above my maintenance intake. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right when it comes to being able to eat the excess of calories and not really worry about the weight gain after a point in time. I, I mean, it, I think it's fascinating, but I think it's so true. I mean, I would have thought seriously by now I would have gained a, t- a ton of weight. And even with other clients, I think we are so focused as a society on weight loss and eating too much that we don't spend enough time at looking at, you know, the timing of what we eat, but then also the ratio. You know, I think the fact that, you know, you, you've been able to keep your ratios exactly where they are at such a high level and not gain from that. It means that your body still has the ability to um, press through and utilize those things. Plus the other thing I've seen, which, um, you know, I, I explain this so many times because I think it's just something that goes over people's heads so much is that, you know, insulin, right? And again, I, I've taken exogenous insulin before, right? So insulin is a storage hormone. Now, whether you take it exogenously or whether you're constantly pushing yourself through insulin spikes, everything you put in your mouth is going to have an insulin impact, right? But fat is going to impact it the least. And then we also know it's the most nutrient dense, calorically, energy dense as far as a macronutrient. So if you can take the most energy efficient item like fat, right, which is going to have your calories super high, but then not worry about the storage that's going to come from what you eat from that, then again, you get, you, get to, you get to this point where you have all this crazy amounts of energy without having to worry about you know, getting fat. And I would imagine, dude, at 6,000 calories, you must be like flying around through the day. I, I doubt very seriously you're ever exhausted. Yeah, it, it's kind of weird. Like I have a lot of energy, but if I, if I ever just am not that active, then it's like, I don't know, it's almost like my body just starts to, to shut down. Not really like in a storage mode, obviously, but it's just because I've got this huge abundance of energy and there's no outlet for it. So it just like all, all the energy goes like energized sleep, I guess. I don't know. It's weird, but I, yeah, I don't normally have times where I'm not really active unless I'm just sitting in front of a computer, which just freaking sucks. But I think the yeah. ratios are of paramount's significance because if I was to have that same caloric intake and have you know the ratios skewed so that it was in favor of protein over the fat, I would just feel... I would feel terrible. Like I honestly would not want anything to do. I mean, that would be absolutely the worst thing ever. I would not want that at all. Yeah. I, I couldn't even imagine having that much, like just protein. I mean, I already feel where I'm at, like it's too much, but yeah, true story. What's weird is like, um, I did a, you know, night shift series. I still work third shift every once in a while doing some things, um, security and with local law enforcement and stuff. And I always tell people, you know, caffeine is not the thing when you're speaking keto that really provides true energy. It's fat. So when people start testing like their ketone levels, you know, one, I'm never a fan of people like chasing ketones. Like there's absolutely no reason. Um, I can manipulate my own ketones however I want to, to make my reader say what I want, right? If I, if I have a 80% higher ratio of fat, like my ketone numbers are going to be higher. If I eat even more, my ketone numbers are continue to be higher. But I think the interesting thing about that, that I've learned from the whole process is that, you know, when you have insulin spike up and you're on a, you know, standard American diet, or glucose-based diet for that matter, whatever energy you don't utilize in that form, it winds up getting stored. Like that's 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 the byproduct of, of insulin being out and then energy unused, it gets stored. Whereas now with fat and running ketogenically, that excess energy, that's what we test. That's what's there. It's floating around in our blood. You know, no different than if you were to add like an additional gas tank to your car, like it's there and ready to be utilized when you want it or you urinate it out. But it's not being stored as like love handles on the side. I think that that's one of those things that, you know, recognizing the energy source and standpoint from is so fascinating. It's like use fat for fuel 
and then recognize that if you don't use it, it's not just going to get added to your hips. Yeah, which is I, cool. I definitely agree with you, man. I think there's a, like not enough people know that much about insulin, and I think there's a big disconnect there because if more people knew about insulin, they would understand the concept of why things are happening the way they are, especially depending on what foods they're eating. And there are probably a lot less people eating donuts out there. Um, but but yeah, insulin yeah. is a huge piece of the puzzle. And I mean, you said it perfectly, like the fact that, you know, fat's your most calorically dense macronutrient and it's, you know, spiking insulin the least out of all the macronutrients. I mean, that that alone right there, it's like a, everything's in favor of fat for the prime fuel source. Yeah, true story. And that's, you know, I don't... I don't ever get into like the politics of the research studies of who does what, right? Like, I feel like that's, it's just ne never, there's so much, there's better places to spend the energy and time, right? But I think that more of that needs to come out where someone spends more time being able to show that data for people to actually consume and recognize, because that's the reason why, you know, if you look at an obese person, that's like, oh, I've been eating salads for a month. And every time they eat a salad, they follow it with a diet Coke and they, they don't understand why they're not lose, losing weight. You know, it's like, well, your Diet Coke spiked your insulin more than if you would have just had an ice cream sundae. So how about get rid of the Diet Coke, eat your salad, if that's what you want to do, and then recognize that it's the insulin thing that really changed and dictated whether or not you were going to store that food or use the energy from it. And and that's the that's the that's the factor, man. And again, this is coming from someone that, you know, I've I've taken insulin before exogenously for no other reason than to see just how anabolic I could get. And I got fat, man. Like it was, it was, it was no joke. It was like right away. I was beastly, but it was right away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There, there's such a disproportionate, like, I don't know, man, like you look at different things you could tweak in your diet and not even just your diet, but just your, your day-to-day -day activities. And, you know, you can make such a small change and reap such a huge benefit from it. Like the next time I do a contest prep, I've learned so much now since my last contest prep that i mean it's just like a no brainer like simply chewing gum for instance you know i used to chew oh, four yeah. packs of gum a day when my calories got low because that you know stimulated just the simple act of chewing which kind of took the place of not eating but you know in hindsight now i know that for one that's just a lot of you know trace sugars and carbs you're getting from that uh you know continuous gum chewing but simply the act of chewing triggers more hunger as well so it's kind of like a double-edged sword in which I'm just shooting myself in the foot every time I chew a piece of gum. So I've cut gum completely and I pretty much cut most of my, you know, sweet drinks or anything that has any kind of sweetness. And even though it's zero calorie, simply removing the sweetness, you know, is, is, you know, eliciting much less of an insulin response. And I'm just feeling much, much better throughout the entire day. Yeah, true. I mean, that's hands down. I think that those are, those are some of the things that again, right? Like on this process to always have eyes wide open um, to, to kind of get a feel for, what does it look like and what are the changes? Because whatever I subscribed to yesterday, that doesn't mean that I won't make a, a, a decision or learn something new that adjusts my thinking for it tomorrow. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, that's the takeaway if I had one for someone is, you know, always be open to learning and realizing that there can be some adjustments. For instance, this is just something that hit me really heavily. Stevia, right? I have for the longest time been telling myself and other clients, if you just absolutely had to Let's say you were going to have an anniversary and you wanted to make your your spouse like a cheesecake. Like the the best thing to do would be use stevia um, as a sweetener. And I had no idea that stevia. I had uh, a person that follows me on Instagram actually sent me a, a DM and was like, "Dude, stevia is horrible. Look at the the impact of of it on hormones." And so I started digging into it, and they actually use it in other countries as birth control, man. Which 
is just mind blowing to me. I don't know if you knew that or not. What, what's the what's the research look like? Like flesh that out a little bit because I, I have not heard that. Yeah. So okay. So the stevia plant, like the the literal stevia plant, has such an impact on estrogen um, in individuals that there are a dozen or so medications that primarily in like Central and Latin America, they will utilize like Brazil is one of the leading places where they utilize stevia as a natural form of birth control, where it literally will prevent women from having their menstrual cycle altogether. And obviously for men, you know, the increase of estrogen for us is obviously a no-go regardless, right? Like we're trying to be anabolic and grow. Um, having having stevia introduce insulin or introduce uh, estrogen for us is not a good look. Um, it's no different than like plastics, right? And trying to get like the BPA and stuff like that out of our foods. So um, there's a there's a ton on it. Um, when he he sent me one article and I was just like, yeah, okay, whatever. And I just Googled stevia and hormone response. And literally it's just pages upon pages upon pages about um, the detriment of stevia and estrogen. So I, I don't, I don't use it anymore. Now here's the flip side that I think is absolutely insane. You know, I've looked at erythritol and I won't use erythritol because of its response to gut biome and, and those things, right? Um, I've looked at monk fruit sweetener, leucoma, some other things out there. And at the end of the day, I am now at the point where I feel like if someone were just like they had to make something for someone, I almost am at the point where I feel like, you know what, you should just use something raw and pure, like a raw local honey or like a raw maple syrup, you know, something that hasn't been processed, something that is not in that that position or, or way that's been trying to manipulate to utilize because, you know, from a paleolithic aspect, um, that's probably easier for your body to process through and out of than it is some of these other things that are just on the market in, in droves. Um, which again, that's one of those things that if you would ask me four months ago, I would have been like, yeah, Stevie all day, use it. It's sweeter than sugar and doesn't have the insulin impact. <laughs> that's crazy, man. You know, it's, there's like so many things. I learned something new every single time I dig any, any deep, deeper into like nutritional protocols and health and just different things out there. Cause I mean, there's so much out there with all the, the keto buzz, like so many different companies have marketed all these new products. And at the end of the day, if it sounds too good to be true, it's too good to be true. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no joke, man. That, and that's, it's, you know, I don't want to say it's unfortunate. I mean, it's great to continue to learn. Right. But it's one of those things that it's why I tell people, I'm like, I may not be a coach for you. You may not be a coach for someone. Danny may not be a coach for someone, but you should find, find someone that can hold your hand through this stuff and learn with you and continue to keep you learning because you know, if for nothing else, if my clients never paid me a dime, I am thankful for each and every one of them because they have caused me to want to lean in on not only what they're doing, what the industry is doing and what I'm doing to help continue to be successful. Um, and, and I'm, I am forever indebted to them for that because it's definitely something that, you know, I can't say I would have continued and gone this long if it weren't for that, you know, um, which is, which is cool. I think it's absolutely awesome. Oh yeah. hundred percent, man. I mean, that's, that's, the thing, the coaches, you know, you, myself, and others, I mean, we we literally learn as much from every new client we bring on as the client does hopefully learn from us. So it's it's a never ending process. And then that's the beauty of it, you know, like you you learn, your perspective changes, you know, your your thought process towards how things work within the body change. But that that's what makes it fun, you know, like that's why I don't ever want to stop this until I stop learning and I don't really anticipate ever stop learning. So I'll be doing this for a while. Yeah, true story. No, I think that that's important, man, right? You never, we never want to stop learning. We always want to get to that next point of understanding, um, you know, beyond what we know now, which is, which is cool. Um, yeah, I mean, keto has just been, you know, like, I know we started this whole thing with the whole keto neo and being newer revived, man, but 
you know, that for me is the thing is I just, I, I would have never thought that I would have grown as much as I have, you know, just all the way around, man, as a person, as an individual, as a husband, you know, as an athlete, um, you know, <laughs> training dogs, working dogs. Um, you know, I just had a, a canine seminar up in New York called the Street Tactics Seminar. And we had, you know, dozens and dozens of police agencies from all over the country come and I'd get in a bite suit, man, at 8 a.m., right? And I am literally getting chewed on um, from these dogs from eight o'clock in the morning until we'd stop at like 4.30 in the afternoon. And just to kind of give you some background context, the bite suits typically weigh you know, like 30, 30 to 40 pounds, right? So like 30 to 40 pounds in a suit running around, um, it, I mean, it, like there's no like air conditioner in this thing, man. So, you know, you're losing like a good 10 pounds of water weight and electrolytes. Um, and I would drink like bone broth and stuff like that. But to, to go through that amount of stress over that long of a period of time, you know, like your football games, there's timeouts all the time. There's typical breaks all the time. Um, and your game is going to last maybe a couple hours, right? So to physically exert yourself for an eight hour window, just all out, you know, obviously there's like ultra marathoners and iron, iron man and stuff like that. But for me as an athlete, like keto has allowed me to do things I never thought I'd be able to do at 36 years old, man. Like, um, I, I feel more equipped to do anything I want in life physically, mentally, or any other way since keto. And I, I, I couldn't have said that at 26. I just, I couldn't. Um, and, and that for me, I think is one of the biggest reasons why I'm always so um, so much of an advocate to people like you, you got to try it because where you think your life is right now, you can turn back the, the clock. You can backtrack so far and make so many different adjustments and, and just be a, a, a version of yourself you never imagined right now. Oh yeah. hundred percent, man. Like it's, it's, it's strange to think that there can be such a community built around a diet alone, but at the end of the day, it's not the diet. It's the, the lifestyle that is afforded to you because you've improved your health so much internally. I mean, like every every interest you have is more optimized because you feel better in doing them. And then that just continues to compound upon itself. And you literally do become limitless because I mean, anything that you set your mind to, you can, you know, figure out how to achieve and then you freaking do it. You know, like that alone, I mean, you, you can't, I can't say enough good things about that. And that's, that stems from a diet, like the diets become the vehicle that allows these things to happen. and I don't know. Like it's just, it gets me excited. I get, I get motivated. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That's, that's, that's it. You know, my wife's always giving me a hard time, which, uh, it was, it was great being able to, uh, kind of vibe with Danny and Mauda cause it was finally like sitting down with other people that get the lifestyle and recognizing like, I'm not the only one that's crazy. Like once, once this bug bites you, like once you finally recognize that you can live a lifestyle totally different than you've ever imagined, how can you not share that with people? How can you how can you just not be elated at the amazing and awesomeness that continues to happen in each day? I mean, it's just it's it's awe inspiring, man. And I'm just I'm grateful that I've found out about it. I'm grateful that I've embraced it, and I'm I'm grateful that the industry has embraced me. And um, I just I look forward to the years to come of of how else I continue to grow and develop and you know, proving things wrong and learning new things and, and growing from it, man. It's definitely, uh, it, it's molding me into someone I never expected to be. Hey man, I have no doubt that you're going to just keep killing it. You're going to keep learning. You're going to keep impacting lives in a positive way. So keep doing what you're doing, man, because it's working. Well, thank you. And likewise, man, I, I, you know, it's, um, if, if only one person listens to this podcast and, and starts or changes their life, then 
man, I'm extremely excited about it. And uh, I just continue to hope that I can continue to be used and, and help to impact people and, and grow myself. Like it's been, uh, it's been great. hundred percent brother. hundred percent. Where, where can people go to find out more about you, man? Follow along on your side. No, on Instagram, it's keto.neo and the ketomatrix.com has links to everything else social media wise. Um, I'm out here and I'm, I'm always open and available to help as much as I can with, with you and anybody else that wants it, man. I'm just so appreciative to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I will link to those in the show notes. Um, I'm also going to include in the show notes a picture of you in your in your heavy heaviness, and then also a picture of you getting attacked by a dog if you're so willing to provide them. Oh man, absolutely! I will totally throw both of those your way. And I don't I don't think I have a picture of me in my absolute heaviest. I think the heaviest I have is probably like the 270 range. Um, it's a drastic difference, even then. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, Neo. Like always, brother, I appreciate the time. I appreciate the conversation. And we'll be in touch because I want to follow along and hear how this this uh, hypercaloric experiment goes for you because we'll have to compare notes because we're both doing something similar. Awesome. Sounds good, man. I appreciate it. Thanks always. And uh, man, just it's good being on, man. Thank you for having me. You bet, brother. Take care, man.